Welcome back to the USC Marshall Lifelong Learning Executive Education Series. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited to be joined today by my guest, Terry Wolf, who is the Senior Faculty and Executive Director of Open Enrollment and Corporate Custom Programs at USC Marshall Executive Education. Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to it. I'm excited to have you on. And uh, I know you are an expert in this topic of humanistic leadership, something we're talking about a lot uh, throughout this series. I wonder if we could start by defining that. What is humanistic leadership? Yeah, well, obviously a great question. Um, it, it's a, a term that has some roots that go way back into the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And I think over time, we've kind of lost sight of it, but I think because of the change in times, it's time for it to reemerge. And humanistic leadership really is sort of taking a posture that um, a, a person-centered perspective on leadership. So leadership, some of the classic leadership models talk about the task focus and relationship focus, but what ends up being uh, kind of emphasized, it seems to me, and in, bus in business schools generally, um, and obviously in the workplace is the focus on task. And so what ends up getting lost is the person and the relationships. So humanistic leadership is really trying to bring the person back to the center um, and really focus on who is the person, both in terms of the leader, her, or himself, as well as who is the person in terms of the people who are on the team, the people in the organization, the people who report to that particular leader. Yeah, so you mentioned um, this kind of question of who is the person, um, and for yourself, right, asking basically, like, who am I? Um, something I talk a lot about in my own content with my book and my own, you know, studies of leadership is that self-awareness becomes so important. It's kind of the foundation, I think, of great leadership, and it sounds like you're talking about that idea of self-awareness here, that the more you know yourself, the easier it becomes to impact others and become a great leader. I couldn't have said it better. Uh, that, that's that's absolutely correct. I, I think uh, that who am I question is sort of at the center. It's at the root of a humanistic leadership approach, but it, it's actually also a question that elevates the level of anxiety significantly. People are not accustomed to that kind of self-exploration, um, that self-reflection that creates the self-awareness that you've suggested here. And so when you pose that question, who am I? And, you know, there's an interesting aside here. Just I'm teaching a, an undergraduate course right now. My primary responsibility is in executive education, but I am teaching an undergrad class at the moment on mastering decision making. And I think in order to be a good decision maker, you have to understand who you are. <laughs> and so just last night, I had them do an exercise on the who am I? Uh, exactly that. And uh, even though we were all in the room together, I had them get on Zoom and I wanted them to, I wanted to hold them accountable. So I asked them to set chat to me uh, so that all their responses would come just to me and they wouldn't be seeing each other's responses. Mm -hmm. But the question for three minutes was, who am I? And about every 10 or 15 seconds, I would re-ask the question. And then they were to key in just sort of whatever came to mind in terms of how they would choose to answer that question. And then, of course, we did a debrief afterwards, and people struggle with that question. Um, they, they really struggle, and uh, they find that, you know, <laughs> three minutes is an incredibly long amount of time <laughs> trying to ask that, that particular question. Yeah. Um, and some of them just went blank after about 30 seconds, couldn't mm -hmm. come up with anything else. And then right. others found that they were shifting, and they were starting to think about themselves in deeper and different terms. And naturally, of course, that's the objective of the exercise. Yeah. And, you know, we, we think about ourselves all the time, but it's hard to put it into words, right? Like I'm me, 
right? So <laughs> yeah. what are some tips or uh, suggestions you have for people who are interested in this idea of gaining more self-awareness, doing self-reflection, you know, understanding who they are, being able to define that? Where, where do we start um, other than just asking that question, who am I? I think one key thing, and it's oftentimes um, difficult as well, is just the idea of journaling. Um, you know, and, and journaling is really uh, choosing to have a conversation with yourself about yourself. And uh, again, people are uncomfortable with that prospect. Um, they become uh, maybe a little bit overly self-conscious in, in that process, even though it is a process that is completely embodied within themselves. There's no external accountability. They're, they're not sharing it publicly. Uh, but even then, I think people find it difficult to just sort of have that frank and honest conversation with themselves through journaling. So I think journaling is clearly a, a key part of it. Some of the things, you know, in response to this question might tap into part of how we're approaching it from a uh, course and leadership development point of view. But there are things around mindfulness um, that, that make sense. Meditation makes sense. Um, these are ways that people can uh, begin to just explore, initiate the exploration of the who am I question. And even asking yourself that question, who am I? Who am I? Uh, and then trying to, you know, um, force yourself to kind of just write it down, write it out and, and open up that conversation with yourself. Yeah, this is something I, I talk about a lot as well on uh, podcast interviews and keynotes that I give. It's this idea of spending time in self-reflection. It's kind of a luxury most people don't do this, right? We have things coming at us all the time, emails and social media notifications and demands from a boss or our family. And it's rare for people to take time for themselves, but I always recommend, like you said, sit down with a journal and a cup of coffee or a cup of tea in a quiet space for at least 30 minutes and be able to write down some thoughts on who you are, how you got to where you are. Um, I always like questions like, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? You know, What am I good at? What energizes me? Um, how do I think people perceive me, right? We're thinking about being a leader, right? How, how, does, how do I come across to other people? Um, how are they reacting to me? And just getting really curious with yourself and, and asking these questions. Uh, Terry, why, we, we've been talking a lot about this idea of humanistic leadership and how to become more self-aware. Why is this important in the, the workplace? Yeah, and, and I think that's a really great question, Andy. The, um, you know, I was kind of reflecting before this, um, before our session, and I was thinking about a client that I was talking to. This is probably three years ago now, um, four at the max. And we were just trying to kind of assess, you know, what are, what are the important critical leadership issues your, your uh, executives are facing right now? And they kind of gave, you know, the, the typical everyday kind of things. Um, you know, there might be some critical thinking, there might be you know, be, being better at team effectiveness there, you know, there might be some things like that. But I started asking them questions also. This, this particular client was a uh, healthcare equipment manufacturer. And I said, well, uh, and this is only three and a half to four years ago. Well, what about globalization? Is that an issue? And the, the, the team I was talking to kind of went silent and they kind of exchanged glances amongst each other. And in effect, they said, yeah, but our executives are intimidated by it. They don't really know how to think about it, yet it's important. And then I said, okay, well, how about digitalization? <laughs> the same pause, the same silence, the yeah. same exchange of looks. And they said, yeah, and our executives are intimidated by it. They're afraid of it. They don't know how to approach it. 
And then I said, well, you know, you're a you're health healthcare equipment manufacturer. What about the Internet of Things? And once again, you know, this pause, they looked at each other, et cetera. And I was reflecting on that and thinking, you know, relative to today, those three or four years ago are almost quaint. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, as complex was for them in that moment, relative today, it's still kind of quaint. And so yeah. today, you know, we're, we're seeing you know, the term VUCA, it's been around for a long time. Interesting aside, the term VUCA, I think, was first introduced in, by the Army War College in 1987. But it was premised on the thought leadership of Warren Bennis, who was a distinguished professor here at USC. And most people don't have any idea, even here at USC, <laughs> people don't know that, that Warren's thought leadership was really at the root of that. That's right. But so, but so VUCA, this whole notion of the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, the ambiguity, it's coming at us in waves. And so in terms of the humanistic leadership, uh, that, that's one movement. Complicate that with the pandemic. Uh, complicate that with um, technological disruptions and increasingly we're having the conversation about artificial intelligence and the impact of artificial intelligence on the future of work. There's a, there's a very famous um, uh, investor in this space who is himself a PhD in machine learning from Carnegie Mellon, a gentleman by the name of Kaifu Lee, who wrote a book about um, the AI superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the future of uh, technology. And he estimates that by the year 2035, uh, maybe even sooner, roughly 40% of the existing jobs in the world will be displaced by artificial intelligence. And so kind of where he gets to is at the end of the day, what's left? <laughs> and in, in effect, what's left is the distinctively human. So this brings us full circle back to the question about uh, why is humanistic leadership important? Yeah. And so increasingly, you know, we have to be clear about what are the things that the, the machines won't be able to do? What are the things that the AI won't be able to displace? You know, and you, as I read, you know, the McKinsey, the BCG, um, the Bain, you know, I get their, their regular newsletters and, you know, you just sort of shift, I'm sorry, see a shift in what's topical for them, what's important to them. So we're seeing more articles on purpose. We're seeing more articles on psychological safety. We're seeing more articles on curiosity. We're seeing more articles on agility. Um, you know, and the, historically, the purview of McKinsey and, and the top consulting houses was much more around strategy and operations. But now it's becoming much more about this issue of the leader and the person and this person-centered focus. Um, it, it's interesting to me that McKinsey now is starting to write about mental health. Yeah. And, you know, so you see all these trends and you have to go back and, you know, why is uh, humanistic leadership important? It's because we're simply being overwhelmed. Uh, people don't know where to turn. Employees don't know where to turn. They have a historical relationship that's sort of a, maybe not 100%, but significantly enough, a top-down communication relationship. Yeah. And now they've got employees who are desperate to find, to be able to talk to somebody. You know, the, the children are running around the background, the dog's barking, they're, they're in these remote working situations, and they feel embarrassed, they don't know how to uh, communicate that with their boss, they don't know how to talk about how do we modify uh, the appropriate work, re work arrangements in such a way that it just sort of accepts the reality of this and you know, we're two years into the pandemic, we're making progress on that. Mm -hmm. But those concerns are still out there. And now we're finding you know, the incidence of the mental health discussion in the workplace and as it affects uh, 
you know, the people and employees, the, the incidence of those conversations is going up. Um, so I think there's all of these driving forces that are contributing to uh, why humanistic leadership now. Oh yeah, I mean, the, the pace of change is, is so fast these days and it's just getting faster. And um, you're right, like a lot of jobs will be displaced by artificial intelligence. You know, this idea of technical capabilities, while still important, um, we might be seeing giving way to the importance of these human skills. Um, I know at Marshall, you have a partnership with Josh Burson, he calls them the power skills, right? And that's something I've honed in on for a while now. So speaking of these, you know, people might be wondering, okay, well, what do I need to be paying attention to? What do I need to be getting better at? So what are some of the essential capabilities of humanistic leadership? Yeah. And let me just make one aside before I jump to that. That's a, that's a great uh, follow-up question. Um, as I've been learning about the advances in and the displacement of jobs, one of the things that's really struck me, and it, it's sort of implicit in, in uh, what I said a moment ago, is that we've always talked, or for years, we've talked about um, the soft skills and the hard skills. And, you know, the soft skills have almost been treated like a pejorative. It's like, oh, you know, and it's back to the who am I question. It's like, okay, that's getting, it's too touchy-feely. You're getting too close to me. Uh, I, I don't want to have to explore that. And so, and I think business schools are just as guilty of this, that they focus on the hard skills. How do we create the analytical skills? The reasoning, the reasoning is good, but how do we create, create those hard analytical skills? And I think the huge irony here is that artificial intelligence, the first thing they're going to displace is those analytical skills. And so, and the paradox I think is that artificial intelligence will be able to displace what are called the hard skills, but it will displace those easily, but it can't displace the soft skills. And so we're back to that point again, what's left? Um, and what's left is that distinctively human. And so I think creating that capacity for addressing the question, who am I? Creating that self-awareness yeah. uh, and learning what are the soft skills and how can I better use those to help my, both myself and my team and my organization continue to be effective and successful in the face of all of this disruption and the waves of change that we've talked about. Yeah, so what are some of those essential skills that we, we need yeah. to be thinking about for the future? Yeah, so I, I actually have turned to a couple of different resources that have helped my thinking. Um, Daniel Pink, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. At a minimum, he's a workplace observer. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what, what bucket I put him in. And sometimes researcher, can, writer, yeah, researcher, right. writer, and I, it might be elevating a little bit too much to call him a public intellectual. But he is a person who tries to take, you know, information from a variety of sources to synthesize it and then to communicate back out uh, to the lay audience. But he and a, and a uh, gentleman named Jeff Colvin. So I'm sorry, Daniel Pink wrote this book called A Whole New Mind. And in that he called out the need for high touch and high concept. Um, and it's brought about by the information revolution and the kinds of disruptions that we're talking about here. And then Jeff Colvin wrote a book called Humans Are Underrated. And in effect, be, between the two of them, they're, they are uh, identifying and distilling what are some of these core capabilities. So things that have emerged are purpose. Um, what is my purpose and tied to purposes? What is my passion? Um, you may have heard the concept ikigai, uh, which is a Japanese concept around, you know, finding that intersection between purpose and passion and need. Yeah. Um, and then, so there's purpose and, and passion. There's empathy. And, you know, in a broad, if we generalize that a little bit from empathy, we get to emotional intelligence. And there's a lot of, you know, literature on the effect on, on the 
as you go up the organizational ranks, is an increasing need to move from IQ to EQ. And so emotional intelligence, empathy, intuition, um, compassion, et cetera, tie into uh, another uh, element here. A third is what I just call sense-making. Um, so sense-making is really around, given the complexity, the overwhelming amount of movement and change and disruption and information, how do we, how do we recognize patterns? Um, so a, kind of a pattern recognition of think, forces that are going on and how do we begin to make sense out of that? So uh, there, I kind of break it out into the looking in uh, capabilities and the looking out capabilities. So the looking in is tied to the who am I? Uh, and so there's purpose and passion on the one hand, there's empathy and EQ on the other, and then also this issue of more of the cognitive piece built from within. How do I recognize patterns in what's going on around me? And then, uh, so there's a subset of three capabilities there. And then there's a second subset of four capabilities that I, I really think about in terms of looking out. And they include what, I, what I'm just labeling social sensitivity, but that gets us into teams and team dynamics and influence and um, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, uh, issues related to conflict and conflict management. Uh, all of the, there's a whole cluster of things. And when you think about the, the literature on emotional intelligence, there's awareness of self, and then there's awareness of other. So the awareness of self, I kind of put in that looking in and the uh, empathy category. And then the awareness of other, I put in the social sensitivity and the looking outwards um, perspective for the leader. And then, so we have social sensitivity and then design. Uh, design is a broad term, but it really includes things like uh, and it, and through my engagement with others, issues around visioning, creativity, innovation, uh, prototyping, um, coming up with new products, pattern creation, as opposed to pattern recognition. So I'm recognizing the patterns as sort of a, an internal, but pattern creation is something I can do collaboratively with others. And then issues like problem solving and decision making. A sixth um, theme is what we call play. And so play, you know, there's a classic piece by Michael Schrag at MIT called Serious Play, where he was really laying the foundation for, for prototyping, and it has its relationship to um, design thinking, processes of design thinking. Uh, but how do we think about prototyping as a form of play and engagement, but also increasingly we're finding, um, you know, as part of a development opportunities, people use escape rooms, um, you know, people use various types of simulations in los angeles we're not it's not unique here but in los angeles there's a lot of you know theater-based issues so there's improvisation for example and we can do you know we can bring in outside groups to teach improvisation to um, people participating in our leadership programs there are, there's a place called the magic castle which is um, for magicians by magicians but uh, if you have a if you're affiliated with a member, then you can take groups to the Magic Castle and you can, they can be exposed to the issues around. I've been there, uh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so LA is, uh, LA is resource, resource rich from that point of view. Hmm. And then the final theme is, uh, I just call story. And story is, you know, how, if I've got my purpose and my passion, I've done that reflection on who am I and how I think I should best position myself in relationship to my team or my organization or my market or whatever. Then how do we equip leaders to begin to learn how to formulate and then to tell the story? 
So in summary, it's purpose impact or purpose, empathy, um, sense-making, looking in, and then design, social sensitivity, play, and story uh, for the looking out. Mm, it's almost like the mirror and the window looking out onto the world and uh, so many important capabilities there that you're not going to get from technical training. Um, now, Terry, I'm curious because these are really, really important and they're not probably not talked about enough. Although, as you said, a lot of the big consultancies like McKinsey and Bain are starting to talk a lot more about these things and the importance of them in leadership and business success. How does Marshall's humanistic leadership uh, leadership series um, and the executive education program in general address this? And, and what can people expect if they're coming into this program? On the one hand, there is sort of the totality. And if I just call it the seven themes, the seven core themes for how do we think more directly about ourselves as humanistic leaders. Uh, but in relationship to that totality, we can, we can educate, um, you know, in the ideal world, you would educate across all seven themes. But that's, that's an ambitious program. And especially in current times, it's difficult to achieve uh, with remote and virtual and what have you. Uh, but themes can be broken out one by one. And then within each one of those themes, there's a whole series of different courses uh, that we can identify. We can, we can do a course on visioning. We can do a course on design thinking. We can do a course on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So part of how we approach it is that we are working in collaboratively with our faculty and other um, you know, third-party resources as they make sense to develop the specific courses in relationship to within a theme and then at, at the highest level across the themes. Because when you, when you think about it, and I'm rushing through this very quickly, when you think about it, these seven themes are all interconnected to each other. You know, so the, the, self, the, uh, the empathy and self-awareness uh, as part of looking in is highly connected to the social sensitivity and working with teams and building teams, which is on the looking out. Pa purpose and passion is very much tied to my ability to tell a story, for example. So all of these things are interconnected. So what we're trying to do and what we are doing is uh, uh, identifying, you know, sort of um, kind of both individual topics as well as clusters that when you hang them together, they will give an individual meaningful insight into the, themselves as a humanistic leader. Um, so that, that's key way in which we're approaching it. Um, you know, part of the purpose and passion is also personal values exploration. You know, what are my values? How do my values tie into my purpose? How do they get reflected in my passion, et cetera? And then in terms of expectations, I think they're, you know, Marshall, um, we have, so I, I've been doing, been trained in some sort of group, small group dynamics and interactions for many, many years from a variety of different perspectives, um, many of which are very deeply psychologically rooted. But the Marshall School has what's called the Experiential Learning Center. And it's, it's a reasonably unique resource. I, you know, I, uh, I belong, as part of Exec Ed, we belong to a global consortium of executive education programs. And as I talk to people in other business schools and their executive education programs, this experiential learning center appears to be reasonably unique. And it's a facility that's equipped with uh, video capture. It's equipped with playback capabilities. Um, it's a great setting where you can do small team breakouts. You can video capture the team interactions. You can come back afterwards and debrief those interactions. You can set it up so that individuals are given 
simulated problems for which they might have to give a, a respond to the press, respond to the public, and maybe a crisis situation that arose in their organization made it its way into the press. So the ELC allows us to video capture, bring in co- you know communications coaches and give them direct feedback on how they can improve. It's an opportunity uh, for people to learn and then practice in the moment and interact with others, right? To really reinforce that learning versus a traditional environment where there's a lecture and you write some things down and you hope that you remember it. Uh, but in my experience, when people get to experience the things for themselves, it really reinforces that learning more than anything else. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, in terms of uh, what they can expect, our programs are designed to be highly experiential. Um, we create the conditions and, and support them in engaging in learning experiments and learning experiments are designed to, you know, what's a, what's a dimension of yourself that may be discovered through and uh, that who am I question where, and you talked about strengths and weaknesses that maybe they identify an opportunity area for their personal development. And so we can support them in crafting learning experiments in relationship to how do I improve myself on a particular dimension. Um, we can provide personalized. The growth mindset has become also you know, a very popular expression and, and for good cause because it, it evokes, you know, especially when you contrast it with the fixed mindset, which is kind of in the root work. The growth mindset is really about that lifelong learning. It's really around um, how do I make my, you know, it, there's this popular expression um, fail fast, fail early, fail, fail quickly, fail early, um, learn from the failure, and then try it again. And that ties back to prototyping and design thinking and uh, conducting personal learning experiments in service of your own personal growth. Wow, this is fascinating, Terry. And there's so many other things here that I'd love to dive into, but we are out of time now. A great teaser for all the things that we can learn about to become more humanistic leaders, better leaders in this today's society, as well as the future of work. Of course, thinking about these power skills and all those things that are so important. And you talked about some of those components as well as how Marshall approaches that. So thank you so much for making time to come on here today. And I look forward to talking with you more in the future. Great, thank you, Andy, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Lifelong Learning Series. You can find more information by visiting our website at execed.marshall.usc.edu. That's execed.marshall.usc.edu. Thank you again for listening, and we hope to see you in a class soon.